associate director of youth ministries, which is the very fancy way of saying the junior high youth pastor. And before I get cooking too much, I want to extend a special Mother's Day welcome to my mom because I have the stage, so therefore I have to do that one. <laughs> trying, to, trying to score some bonus points anytime you can do that with your mom. My mom always said if I made it on TV, I better say hi, mom. So this is the closest I've ever gotten. So, so Pastor Denny came and talked to me about a month ago and said, hey, would you be interested in speaking? And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. I, I would love to speak. I, you know, I'm honored and privileged anytime they, they give me the opportunity to get up there and speak. And so he said, it's going to be Mother's Day. And so him and I started to talk about it. And I, and I said, you know, you really if, you know, talked about a month on family and stuff like that. I said, well, wh- where are we going to be at in Acts? And he said, well, you're going to be in the second part of Acts chapter 1 or Acts chapter 2. And you can have either one of those. So I spent some time, and I'm, I'm praying, I'm reading, I'm, I'm looking over it. And I go to Pastor Denny. I said, I'm going to do the second half of Acts chapter 1. And he looked at me like I was crazy. Because <laughs> Acts chapter 2, as many of you know, that's Pentecost. And that's when the Holy Spirit comes. It's one of the greatest things to teach about. And I had passed up that opportunity. But I had one of those moments when I read the second half of Acts chapter 1. You know, when you read scripture and it just comes alive to you and you just, I, didn't, I never knew it said that. And that's exactly what I had one of those moments. So that's what I'm going to share with you this morning. So would you bow with me? And we're going to pray. God, uh, I have nothing to say, but you do. I just pray that you would give me the words that you want me to say. God, I pray that I would have fun up here but it would change people's lives and glorify you. And I pray this all in your precious name. Amen. Now, we've all blown it at certain points in our lives. Maybe you blew it on the way here to church. And I've been told that certain families sometimes fight on the way to church. I I know no one in our congregation have ever had that happen. I've I've just heard in other congregations, people have actually gotten in fights. Or or, or you've blown it. Maybe you had that big test and you studied and you, you prepared so well and then it just didn't quite turn out how you wanted to. Or maybe it was that big job interview and, and you went in and you were focused and it just didn't go exactly how you wanted to and, and you blew it. And often you blow it with people that you love the most. I, I know in my certain times of my life with my mom and with my wife and with my kids, you're like, man, why did I say that? I blew it so bad. I wish I could go back and unsay that one word or those two words. Or I, I had to get that last dig in, and I just really regret it. And we've all blown it before in our lives. And we've all blown it spiritually in our lives, too. I know I have. Where God, I really felt like God wanted me to go to talk to someone or go deal with something, and, and I knew that that was what God wanted me to do, and he just, go talk to that person, and I'm just like, I can't do it. I froze up. Or God wanted me to forgive some person or speak some word of encouragement to someone. And I'm like, I, I, I really want to do that, but I just can't. Oftentimes in those moments, I'm, I'm laying in bed and I'm like, why didn't you do that? And you think over and over and over in your head, you, you blew it. I don't know about you, but I hate failure. I do. I, I hate failure more than anything else in my life. I fear it more than anything else in my life. I'm, I'm scared to death of it. And I hate when I blow it spiritually and I feel like I fail. There's just, there's just nothing worse. I'm going to tell you a story about when I blew it spiritually. I was at Salt Lake City, Utah. 
and they had a huge life convention. It was Life 98. And it was the, the moment that really, it dramatically, radically changed my life. It, it, we were at Life, and what happened was the, the speaker was up speaking. His name was Jacob Ranzen. I, I remember this so clearly. He was speaking. It was one of those moments where he was speaking to nine, 10,000 kids, but really, he was speaking to me. And he he'd spoke to my heart. And he made an altar call. He said, if you want to get right with the Lord, now's the time. And my heart about leaped out of my chest. <laughs> and it wanted to go up there so bad. But there was this one problem. My feet weren't moving. <laughs> I was just too prideful. I was too prideful to go down. And then he got up and spoke some more. And he made a second altar call. And he said, you need to get down here and get right. And Joyce Evan was, was beside me. And I turned to Joyce and I said, I need you to go down there with me. It was in a very emotional time because I knew whenever I went down, (laughs) down front to that altar, I knew I was giving my whole life to him. I knew that God wanted me to do this and I was scared. I I didn't want to do it. I was afraid. I'm like, God, I want to do what I want to do. But that was the day that really, it, it changed my life spiritually. And many of you have had those moments in your life where you get right with God and you're on fire and you're just, everything's right with the world. Maybe you have that today or, or on Sundays, but you know what happens? Monday comes. The next day comes. It happens for all of us where we get right with God and we, we feel so good about ourselves, but then the next day comes. And my next day literally was the next day. We were, again, in Utah. We went to a, a huge water park very similar to Sandcastle. And we were with, you know, thousands of kids in this, in this water park. And I was hanging out with my little brother, Buck, and a couple of his friends. And also I had met up with some guys from Omaha. They were some football players that we had kind of made friends with. And we're all in this giant wave pool, kind of hanging out in our flotation devices, you know, going up and down and up and down. And what happened was is uh, we were probably flirting with girls because that's what teenage boys do. We were talking to some of them. And then as the girls had kind of floated off and me and this football kid from Omaha were talking, I turned to him and I said something incredibly perverted. It just kind of came out. And whenever I said that, he looked at me like I had poop written across my forehead. (laughs) And I was like, oh my goodness, I've blown this huge. And so because he was actually a good Christian kid, (laughs) he didn't really want to associate with me that much anymore. And so he slowly floated away, and I was sitting in a wave pool all by myself, going up and down. And I was starting to think thoughts like, you blew it. You, you can't get this spiritual thing right. See, I, I told you last night, you might have had a great moment, but you're not going to change. And I did one of the smartest things I've ever done in my life as I was sitting in a pool with thousands of people going up and down. I prayed to God. I said, God, I blew it. I don't want to talk this way anymore. I don't want to act this way. I'm really sorry. Could you just give me a second chance? And again, our gracious, loving Father, he'll always give you a second chance. And I'd love to say that was the last time I've ever prayed that prayer, but it wasn't. In fact, I've prayed it a third time, a fourth time, a 47th time, a millionth time. And if you're all honest with yourself, you've probably prayed that prayer a couple times in your life as well. Today, I want to look at someone who prayed that prayer as well, someone who knows how to blow it. 
And that's Peter. Peter is one of my favorite people in the Bible. And if you were with me in August, you know how much I, I really, really love talking about him. And so this is kind of a continuation of, of that lesson. So what happens with Peter is, though, is that he blows it huge spiritually, but there's this big problem. The guy he blows it with spiritually dies on a cross the next day. He's, God's, Jesus says to him, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And he says, no, I won't. I'll never do that. Lord, I, I could never do that. And what's he do? Of course, he denies him three times. And then Jesus goes and he, and he hangs on the cross and he dies. Leaving Peter then to blow it spiritually, but he can't make it right. Because how do you apologize to the person that's gone? How do I apologize to God, to my Jesus who died? And so in those moments, Peter must have felt about the worst that he could. And Matthew, I'm going to bring up my first slide, Matthew 16, 18, must have felt like a distance memory when Jesus said, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Those words that Jesus had spoke about him, they had to crush him. As he was laying there all by himself, thinking, how can I make this right? I, I blew it. And now my hero, my mentor, he's gone. And in fact, the name Peter, that wasn't his real name. His name was Simon. He was Simon the fisherman. And who had given him the name Peter? Jesus. Jesus had given him the name, and the name meant what? Rock. Essentially, what Jesus was calling him was Rocky. That's really what it is. Rocky, I'm going to build my, my church on you, Rocky. I believe in you, Peter. I believe in your potential. So for those three days when he laid in the grave, everyone that came up and said to Peter, 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 it would have been a constant embarrassment to the failure that he had spiritually. He must have felt horrible, terrible about himself. And he had to be thinking, I blew it and I can't make it right and I'll never be what God wants me to be. Until that one day, three days later, when Mary Magdalene knocks on the door. Mary Magdalene knocks on the door and says, they've taken our Lord. What does Peter do? He sprints to the tomb. He sprints to the tomb. And I think as he's sprinting there, he's running as fast as he can. He's going, oh my gosh. This is my chance at redemption. This is my chance to make it right. I can still make it right with God. And as he's sprinting there and he gets there, and what happens? The tomb's empty. And it says that Peter then started to tell people that he had raised from the dead. Now, I don't know if he actually knew that or if he just wanted to believe it so bad that he could make it right. Please, or raise from the dead because you said you were going to raise from the dead in three days and I forgot about that. So please, raise from the dead. A couple other times, Jesus appears to the disciples, but there's one story I want to talk about in particular where he really appears to Peter. And that's when Peter is out fishing the one day. He's out fishing all night. He goes back to being Simon the fisherman, 
fishing. And the Lord calls them. He says, have you caught anything yet? And he said, no, we've been fishing all night. We, we haven't caught a thing. Jesus says, throw your nets on the right side of the boat. And so they do that. They throw the nets on the right side of the boat. They start pulling them up, and it's so heavy, it's sinking the boat. There's 153 fish in there. And Peter looks out to the person who calls it, and he says, what? It's the Lord. It's the Lord. He rips off his, his tunic, and he jumps, and he swims all the way to Jesus to reconcile with him. I want to ask you a question. When you blow it spiritually, do you want to reconcile with God that bad? Do you want him that bad that you're willing to sprint to a tomb? You're willing to to jump into a lake, to swim, to get to God, to make it right? Because oftentimes when we mess up spiritually, you know what it does? It messes up our hearts and we're just not right with God. And when our hearts aren't right with God, we just can't be who God wants us to be. And and we know we're off, and other people may not know that you're off. And there's certain people in this room, I'm sure you're off a little bit spiritually. Your heart's just not right. And it's not till you reconcile with God, you're like, God, please, help me make this right. I'm sorry. Make me teachable. Please, I want to learn from my mistake. Give me a second chance. And then God always forgives you. It's a, pretty th- it's a pretty radical the next 45 days for Peter. He raises from the dead and, and Jesus starts appearing to him and, and, and all the disciples. And there's a radical transformation that takes place in Peter's life. And that's what I want to take a look at. If you guys would open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Pastor Denny did an awesome job talking about Peter and, and talking about the waiting. Because we hate to wait, at least I do. I'm the most impatient person in the world. But Peter now, because Jesus has descended into heaven, he's in charge. And what's he telling everybody? We need to wait. This is the guy who before was ready, fire, aim. He was saying stuff before he ever thought about it. I'll never deny you, Lord. And he was, you know, he was always a man of action and not of much thinking and, and following things through. And now he's saying, hey, listen, him and the 20, 120 people there, we need to just wait for God. That's a pretty radical transformation to happen in the last 45 days of his life that he's now like, listen, we need to just wait for God. Acts 1 verse 12 says this. It says, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. 13 and 14, when they arrived, they went upstairs to a room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, and Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer. The amazing thing about the Gospels is that it doesn't really talk about the disciples spending much time in prayer. It really doesn't. And now what? Peter's saying, listen, we need to wait for the Holy Spirit. And now he's leading a prayer meeting. Listen, we just need to sit and pray and wait for God. Wait. 
Let's keep praying, God, please reveal to us, work in our lives, keep working. We're constantly praying, along with the, with the women and Mary and mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, brothers and sisters, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our numbers and shared in our ministry. Verse 20. For, said Peter, it was written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted and let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another one take his place of leadership. And now here's Peter, the new leader. And what's he doing? He's quoting scripture. He's saying, listen, we need to find someone to take Judas's place because I believe in Psalm 109 that that is what God wants us to do. So the radical transformation that's taking place in Peter is now what? He's waiting. He's praying. He's quoting the scriptures. He's starting to act like someone that he wanted to be like his whole life. He's starting to act like Jesus. He's starting to do the things that Jesus would do. Because he's been transformed. He goes on to say in verse 21 and 22, Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us from the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism from the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become the witnesses with us at, the resurrect- at his resurrection. Verse 23 and 25. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. And so what they do is, is they're praying, they're reading the scripture, and, and, they really, and they humble themselves and they say, God, we don't know who to pick. Justice, Matthias, they're both good choice. They humble themselves and say, God, you know everyone's heart. You make the decision." You make the decision, Lord. They're totally relying on him. The heart. You know everyone's heart. Did you know that the heart is the most important thing to God? In the gospel, it talks about it over 50 times. Jesus mentions the heart. Because look, we can come to church. We can put on the church face. We can be happy. We can put on the facade. And, and we can act a certain way. And people, we can fool people but you can't fool God. When God looks down from heaven, he sees our heart. He sees who we really are. We can't hide that from God. And so that's what they acknowledge. We're like, we, we can't know. We don't know hearts, God. Only you do. God, you, you know the heart. You make the decision. See, I believe that verses like Matthew 5, 8 started to sink in whenever Peter was all alone and all the other disciples, verses like this, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Or like Matthew six twenty one, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Or Matthew fifteen eight, these people honor me with their lips, Jesus talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but their hearts are far from me. 
See, when we blow it spiritually, we blow our hearts with God. And when we reconcile, we're made right with God. And I think the disciples had finally figured that out, that our hearts have to be right with God. And that God cares about the heart more than anything else. And that we need to judge people on their heart only. Luke 16, 15 says this. Jesus said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly what people value is highly detestable in God's sight. The things that we value smarts, abilities, qualities, the things that you look for in people, God doesn't look at. It's about the heart. It's always been about the heart. It will always be about the heart for God, for Jesus. That's the most important thing. See, I'm a male. <laughs> I naturally judge people if I feel threatened by someone to make myself feel better. See, you, you may drive a nicer car than me, but my wife's better looking than you. <laughs> and your kids, they, they may be cool and you know, have athletic ability, but my kids, they're smarter than yours. My dad could beat up your dad. My dog's cooler than your dog. And that's what happens as, as, a, as a male. I have to, if I feel threatened, I have to put someone down to make myself feel better. I'm not a female, but I've been told that for women, it's all about beauty. That we judge them on beauty. We often put them down. Oh, she's got a big nose. Her hair isn't right. Or that outfit, did you see what she has on? And we judge them to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. And we don't judge them by the heart. God judges all of us by the heart. And the disciples got it. That Listen, we can't make this decision. Only God knows the heart. We have to trust in him. Let him make the decision. I've been judged by my heart one time in my life other than by God. And that's when I was in eighth grade. I played football for the East Butler Bulldogs. And I know you find this hard to believe, but I wasn't the biggest guy on the team. <laughs> I know you'd probably find that hard to believe. That I was, in eighth grade, I was about four foot 11, 85 pounds. I was little. And my mom said, you can't play football, you're too little, you'll get hurt. I shouldn't make fun of my mother on Mother's Day, but I just did. I just blew that. All that good stuff in the beginning is gone. And so it was my first day of football because I'd missed the first three days because my mom didn't want me to play. And we were doing Oklahomas, which are essentially one-on-one tackling drills. We're tackling these people, and I'm going up, and I got to make an impression because I'm a couple days behind. So I'm, I'm tackling people, and I'm doing pretty good. I'm hitting them, I'm hitting them hard, I'm wrapping them up, I'm bringing them down. The coaches are kind of getting excited, like, who is this kid? And then I go up against my best friend, who will be in the second service, who I will embarrass. But my best friend is Eric Christie, and he was six foot one, 160 pounds in eighth grade. He matured early, let's just put it that way. And so they put me up against him. 
And so I, you know, I'm get this look in my eye. I'm going up and I'm trying to tackle him. I like ankle bite him. I somehow bring him down. And then they put me up against another kid about, about my size. And I came and I just ran him over. The coach stopped the drill. Hank Leyland stops the whole drill. He goes, I don't even know who this kid is, but he's got a heart as big as this field. He said that to me over 20 years ago. I still believe it. And it changed my life. Because why? Because he wasn't judging me on my stature. He wasn't judging me because I was little. He saw through all that and he said, there's a kid that will do whatever it takes on a football field. It's the same way God judges you. That's the same way God loves you and looks at you. He looks straight to your heart. And nothing else matters. So how did Peter really come about this radical transformation? I believe the answer is right after he got done fishing, it's in John 21, 15. After they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lamb. So Jesus says, do you love me? He says, yeah, I love you. Verse 16, it says, again, Jesus said to Simon, son of John, do you love me? And really, he says, do you really love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Verse 17, a third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And the Greek actually changes here. And this is what he really asked him. He said, Simon, are we really friends? Peter, are are we really friends? Are we? Peter was hurt by this because Jesus had asked him a third time. He said, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. In the midst of blowing it, him and Jesus have a one-on-one conversation and it's a real heart-to-heart. He says, do you love me? He says, yeah, you, you know I love you. He says, do you really love me? He says, yeah, then you know, Lord, I love you. And he says, are we really friends? And Peter is hurt by this and he says, yes. And Jesus says to him, look, there's gonna come a time Well, you're not going to be able to do what you want to do. You're not going to be able to go where you want to go. But you have to do what I want you to do. You have to be willing to say, God, I'll I'll do whatever you want. And that's how you don't blow it spiritually. (laughs) It's by saying, God, whatever you want, I'll I'll do it. Whatever you want me to go, God, I'll do it. Whatever you want me to say, I'll, I'll do it, God. Peter gets to the end of himself and says, God, I'll I'll just go and follow you wherever you want, no matter where it leads. I got this for my final illustration. I know you guys have been wondering why is there a big blue bucket up here. This is an RC car from Playthings, etc., the world's coolest toy store. (laughs) 
Shameless plug. Now, if you look at this thing, I mean, who doesn't want to take it for a little spin? I mean, it'd be awesome. Fly it around. It goes awesome. And there's a certain person I know, Tim Shingleton, who is unbelievable at driving these things. My friend Tim can drive it through anything. He's like, he gets the little remote. And I've seen him in the parking lot. He'll be driving out there. And he spins it around like a big 180 and brings it back. Get it up to like 25, 30 miles per hour. And he spins it around. After doing that a couple times, he says, you want to try? And I was like, no. (laughs) I'll blow it. (laughs) See, we're, we're a lot like this remote control car. When we're obedient to God and we we give the remote to God, he can drive us. He can control us. He can make us go wherever we need to go. He's going to take the route that we need to take. And it may not be the route that we always want to go, but it's the right route. And you've got to trust him to drive. This car, I've seen it in action. It goes fast. It's It's awesome. But do you know what the most important part of this car is? The battery. If the battery's dead, it's not going anywhere. It's stagnant. You can push it, but it's not going to ever go where it's supposed to go. And the battery, it's just like our heart. If our heart's dead towards God, we're never going to go anywhere spiritually. If our heart is, is cold towards God and it doesn't work towards God, you're not going anywhere spiritually. God wants to drive you. God wants you to be who he wants you to be, but what? You've got to give him the remote and say, you drive. Because every time I, I switch her over and say, I'll, I'll drive God, just like with Tim, I'd blow it, I'd wreck it. I can't drive an RC car like Tim Shingleton. You got to be obedient, just like Peter was and say, all right, God, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Wherever you want my heart to be, God, I just want to be right with you. And we got to act like Jesus. And you need the charger. See, before Jesus leaves, Peter never had the charger. After he ascends into heaven, he starts to what? Let's wait. <laughs> Let's just wait. Let's just wait and do what God wants us to do. That charges the heart. He spends time praying. I'm sorry, praying, praying. He spends time in prayer saying, God, I'm I'm just going to wait and I'm going to pray. We're all going to pray together. That charges the heart. He spends time in the scriptures because now he's quoting the scripture. You know what that does? That charges the heart. And he says, God, you make the decision. We we don't know who to choose between Justice and Matthias. You make the decision because you know everyone's heart. It charges the heart. I want you guys to bow your heads.
I want you to be real honest with yourself. Did you blow it spiritually? And you've never reconciled with God? How's your heart's condition towards God? Are you bitter? Are you angry? Or are you fully charged? Who's driving that RC car? Is it you? Or is it God? I'm going to give you 10 seconds of just straight quietness. And you say to God whatever you need to say to God. You get right with him if you need to. And if you need to surrender and say, God, I'll go wherever you need me to go or, or whatever it is, you give him that opportunity. God, you know all of our hearts. I pray that our hearts would be aligned with you. When our hearts align with you, we can live a victorious Christian life. But when we try to drive the car and do it all on our own, we're going to wreck it. And God, help us to judge people by their hearts and not by their human attributes and the things that we judge people by to make ourselves feel better. Help us to be who you want us to be. Help us to glorify you in all that we say and do. And I pray this all in your precious name. Amen. Thank you so much. Have a great Mother's Day. You're free to go.